Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. And welcome to episode 31 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Uh, joining us today on this episode is Mr. David Eaton. He's joining me for, I suppose this is like the third part of our look back on WWE, Stroke WWF pay-per-views in 2000. How are you doing, Dave? All right? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, cheers. Not too bad. Um, today, like I said, is our, our sort of third step through the year, isn't it, of 2000? And my first at, WrestleMania, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, of course. WrestleMania 16 or WrestleMania 2000, as it's uh, billed in some places. I think it's called that on the network as well, isn't it, maybe? It is, yeah. When I went back to watch it, I was like, what do I search for? Because like, uh, like this one... Um, it's kind of special because it's my first WrestleMania, but it's also the one like well, back when I was a kid, like WrestleMania 2000 was the first like video game I really fell in love with. Um, so it, it kind of has that connection in my mind as well that it, it kind of had high hopes for it for that reason. Uh, okay. Okay. No worries. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get to if your hopes were exceeded or dashed shortly, no doubt. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a few weeks again since we spoke, my friend. Is everything okay? How are things with you? Yeah, everything's good. I mean, no one's really been able to do anything in the UK in the past few weeks. So business as usual in terms of lockdown, really, just lots of staying at home, um, working and then staying at home some more, really. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm very much in the same boat as people who listen to um, Chain Wrestling, my other show, will know that one's recorded week by week as it happens, as opposed to this one where I sort of have a bit of a different time frame to how things are working um i'm literally in the same boat except i'm not working so <laughs> uh, i'm looking for work and then staying at home looking for work so, and it, it grinds you down after oh while, man so. i bet that does like at, at least like you at least with working you've still got a routine and stuff and like with looking for work if, you, if you're doing that as a routine that's probably the best thing you could be doing um but yeah if you, if you don't like at least have some sort of routine like the days just merge into one don't they oh very much so very much so i had no clue I kind of lost Saturday the other day <laughs> because yeah, <that laughs> I, had a, I had a late night Friday night. I stayed in bed for a bit Saturday. I was looking forward to the United game being on telly and I think they were playing the Sunday right. and the rest of Saturday, I just kind of lost and I thought it was still Saturday and I was waiting <laughs> to watch the United game on Monday. I, I completely lost a day just where it's so mundane and, and sort of just everything's the same, isn't it? I guess groundhog day, I suppose, as they call it. Yeah. Light at the end of the tunnel now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Lots of people, get, well, a few people I know are getting the job and I getting the uh, getting the vaccine and it's yeah. been rolled out to younger age groups as well. I can see, I say younger age groups, not kids just yet, but you know what I mean. 
Yeah, so my wife works um, in, um, well, technically head office for a, for a care charity, but like because she goes into the homes and stuff, she's had the the vaccine this week, um, and, and yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting experience because side effects and stuff. But um, yeah, it's um, it's good to see it sort of being rolled out at such a pace, at least. Yeah, definitely, definitely, it's good to see uh, progress being made, and as you know, to sort of steal your words, there light at the end of the tunnel. It's a good yeah. thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's been a long track, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, before we get on to today's main topic of WrestleMania 16, um, a little context for everyone listening: the date of the recording for me and David are sorry is the fourth uh, of March. So I guess. A week previous to the release date of this show and we had the sad news today of the passing of jim crockett jr um of jim crockett promotions fame um passed away in his mid 70s after an illness that took him into hospital for a little while a uh, hugely important figure in wrestling history he was the nwa president on a few different occasions um Loads and loads of talent went through his Jim Crockett Promotions territory um, and had exposure and extra eyeballs on them because of his TV and so on. Hugely, hugely important figure. I mean, just to put that into a little context for people listening at home, I read one tweet. There has been numerous online tributes passed to um, Mr. Crockett today, as you'd imagine. But one that really sort of resonated with me that I'll just read out quickly now was from um, Ric Flair. Uh, his his message simply said, I moved to Charlotte in 1974 with only $150 in my pocket. Jimmy Crockett was my friend and then my boss. I can't put into words how much he did for me and my career. His influence and persistence helped me become the world champion. And if someone like Ric Flair is singing that individual's praises for the help he gave his career, I think it shows and is a big testament to how important that individual is david yeah yeah of course and like uh, like i don't watch a ton of really old wrestling but like uh, the the really old wrestling that i've been watching recently is like the 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 four horsemen um box set thing um and seeing them and like obviously a lot of that is is jim crockett promotions and stuff and it's um such like a a really important part of wrestling past um so it's a very sad day indeed yeah, very much so, very much so. And a, a brilliant sort of time period for you to be looking into as well. So that's one of my favourites. Yeah. One of my favourites in wrestling. I still go back to it all the time. Um, I, I literally had a Lex Luger t-shirt delivered this morning, funnily enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I saw it online, I thought, oh, that's quite cool. And it can hang up in my wardrobe and alongside my Four Horsemen, my Ric Flair, and my actual Jim Crockett Promotions t-shirt I got as well. It's oh, a great okay. period. If there's anyone out there listening who isn't familiar with um jim crockett promotions from probably around i mean sort of you're looking at around 85 ish when the horseman kicked off through to potentially 88 89 with the sale of the company um it's a fantastic period some so many great names and great matches and great moments all under the jim crockett promotions banner um i strongly advise any wrestling fan goes and gives that a look back on the network or anywhere else you can find it um, there's also an excellent Twitter so- or website you can follow called the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, if you can find them. 
They are brilliant at helping people look back with moments and interviews and segments from that time. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant period in wrestling. I strongly suggest anyone goes back and has a look at. And I want to say, you know, I'll pass on my, my thoughts and condolences to the family of Jim Crockett Promotions, um, Jim Crockett Jr. And, you know, a big thank you basically to everything that that family and that individual did for wrestling back in the day. Okay. Dave, should we, have a, should we have a look back at uh, WrestleMania 16 then? Yeah, go on then. Okay, don't, mate. Um, <laughs> WrestleMania 16 is um, quite an experience, I find, watching this back. Um, it's very much of its time, the sort of, I suppose, peak attitude era, I guess. Sort of 98, 99, 2000-ish time, mm, it, roughly. It certainly was interesting. Yes. Especially at times. <laughs> um, the I, I don't you're going to do like the normal card rundown thing because like the one of the biggest things that sort of stands out to me um, and I didn't look at the card first I just kind of went into it and just watched and then I got like near the end and like the main event was coming up and I was like I haven't seen a wrestling match yet no and exactly. what I mean by that is like a, a traditional wrestling match like there are no one-on-one wrestling matches pinfall to a finish submission to a finish on this entire card at all nope there is one match that in theory is 1v1 and that is terry reynolds versus the cat yeah um and that's the only match where i suppose on either side of the ring is only one competitor in each corner so to speak everything else is tags multi-persons the fatal four-way at the, at the end it's... and they weren't even the main characters in that match no, exactly, exactly. They were just there, I suppose, uh, as a, as a side note to the comedy of May Young and Moolah, I guess. Yeah, I um, mean, we do this a lot, but should we talk about this match ahead of everything else and then skip it later? Um, yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> Let me just flick through my notes to get to that. I mean, I've not oh. made masses of notes on that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, probably the less said about it, the better. It was very oh, much of its time, right? Um, but like. Um, Obviously, Terry and the cat are, are there to, in theory, have a wrestling match. It's not really about them. They've got Val Venus there, and he's he's literally picking Terry up, like, from the beginning, like, manhandling the women. I was like, mm. immediately, you wouldn't see this these days. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Definitely, definitely. And then also, when you mentioned Val Venus as the special referee there, his T-shirt is interesting isn't it quite a famous t-shirt or from like any list of bad wrestling merch or t-shirts or whatever um uh, a good friend of mine uh, mags who does the chain wrestling show with me has another podcast which is fantastic called badlands where they do like a mount rushmore or or a top four of different topics each week oh, nice. and a few weeks ago they did the mount rushmore of bad wrestling merch <laughs> and this t-shirt i don't think it ended up going on the mount rushmore but it got a mention so for it to be mentioned on there says how bad this was it, it's got certain messages on about being cocked and ready and loaded and so on <laughs> but how it's written uh insinuates to being written in say a form of bodily fluid that may be synonymous with someone who works in the porn industry as val venus was uh supposed to be doing so it's quite a distasteful shirt i mean you can't imagine wearing that t-shirt around to you know sunday dinner at your nans or something can you really you know not unless it was the year 2000 and you were a particularly edgy teenager 
Yeah, very which true. Which was the target <laughs> audience of it, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose. And then you get the standard Valvinas Hello Ladies and little mini promo at the beginning where he makes reference to WrestleMania only coming once and once a year. <laughs> and you can imagine where that's going if you've not seen it before. But um, yeah, very much a whole snippet of its time, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, in the end, Terry, I suppose, wins, I say, in sort of floating quotation marks <laughs> after a, a, a ref distraction. Um, but that doesn't really tell the story. <laughs> um Again, it comes back to when we looked back at the, the swimsuit competition at the Royal Rumble, David, doesn't it? These yeah. ladies might as well be in the buff. They might as well be completely nude. It's Well, the cat was earlier. Well, yeah, like, during, during, yeah. The, during the promo um, for it. For some reason, she's sitting there completely naked with um, May. Um, and I'm just like, well, I kind of want to know how that came about. Like, all right, she she maybe sees her as like a grandmother figure or whatever, but I probably don't know. I'm, I'm not a woman. Do women sit naked in front of their grandmothers? Is I, that a thing? I don't know. I don't get know. ready. I hope not. It's so bizarre. Like looking back on these things. Yeah. Um, in, in 2021. Um, I like, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, and I suppose it comes down to the old adage of uh, sex sells, I guess. Yeah. Both ladies got great reactions from the crowd. That backstage segment with the cat got a good reaction from the crowd on, on a show that potentially didn't have that many great reactions from the crowd. So, No, that is true. Yeah, You know, it is, it is very much uh, of its time, as we said. And to be fair, these ladies are doing what they're paid to do and they're doing ultimately... I suppose what they're good at really, because they are both very attractive ladies. They both look incredible. I mean, you got to say fair play with Terry. And then you look at say gold dust or Dustin Reynolds. He was punching way over his weight there. Let's be honest, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but no, uh, yeah, the less said like that contest in 2021, the better, I think. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And we like, you can't go past it without mentioning Maya Muller, who are, who are just there to be absurd in the presence of Val again. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it, really, because like you look at it um, now and you're like, oh, yeah, OK, old ladies kissing people. That's kind of funny, I guess. Um, but back then, yeah. Primetime entertainment. Well, oh, exactly. I mean, the year 2000, at this day, I'd have been 18, 19. I'd have been all about seeing Terry and the cat, you know. <laughs> but now, now at 40 years of age with young daughters, I look at it a little from a slightly different angle, shall we say. <laughs> but yeah, okay. We've skirted around that. We ain't going to touch back on that uh, for the rest of the show. That's dealt with now. We can actually talk about some, in theory, some wrestling. Yeah. Um, WrestleMania 16 comes from Anaheim, California, the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim. The attendance is listed as 19,700 and change, which was a sellout. And I believe it was a legit sellout, barring a few competitions that ran around the area. And at a buy rate of 824,000, which when you think about it, the amount of money for a pay-per-view, that's, that's a huge number. That's a huge, yeah. that's a huge amount of money coming in. I mean, if it's, mm. you know, you're looking at millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's twenty five ish thousand up on the previous year that was headlined by 
Austin Rock. Um, so th- that's a good thing. This business seems to be heading in the right direction. Um, but the following year, WrestleMania 17, one of the biggest shows of all time, actually cleared the 1 million mark for buy rates. But um, WrestleMania 16, without Austin, without The Undertaker, I think those are good numbers. They, they made a lot of money mm. on this show, David. Yeah, definitely. And like, it's not like, like you say, the amount of money coming in, it's not like these days where it's like throw a tenner at the WWE network. They were like, what? 50, $60. Yeah. Um, in the UK, probably about, I don't know. They're on channel four, aren't they at this point? So this one getting... wouldn't have been, this one would have been They're on. Not. No, they, uh, they only had channel four and they had the, the four, I think throughout the year. Oh, I mean, it wasn't one of the big four that they got, was it? No, they, they had, it. they had rumble. I think the next one is actually what we're going to look at next, which was Backlash. I think that was on okay. Channel 4. Yeah. So the, the this one and the previous No Way Out show, they didn't have. So this would have been, I don't know, 15, 20 quid, something like that, maybe? Yeah. Not Does that seem right? Yeah, I think probably. It's a lot I can't of remember. money. I, I got these on VHS off of a friend shortly afterwards. So Yeah, yeah, as I did, as I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, the show starts with... Lillian Garcia singing the national anthem. Um, I mean, Lillian Garcia, fair play. She can sing. She's sounding fantastic. Yeah. But it, it seemed a little odd to me because normally it's America the Beautiful at WrestleMania, isn't it? Not that I'm a patriotic American. They can sing either or. It doesn't bother me. But I'm quite like the tradition of hearing the same thing every year, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I That's a detail I hadn't noticed. Well, well spotted. Um, I, yeah, I... She she's a great singer, um, but it I, I wonder what made them change the uh, change the song. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, apparently, I understand that the reason they go with America the Beautiful most years is down to Vince just uh, apparently loves that song and wants to be different to all the other sporting occasions that have the an- national anthem, which uh, okay, I, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But then to flick back to the national anthem here is a bit random really um i think wrestlemania one had the national anthem as well because i think maybe mean gene oakland sang it because the person who was supposed to sing it didn't turn up really i think yeah so is he wrestlemania one or two one of the very early ones i think it was one uh, and um mean gene oakland had to sing the national anthem because the person who was supposed to sing it was either late or didn't arrive or or something like that so that's why he ends up standing in the ring giving out a quick rendition before shuffling off out of way. So <laughs> Was it good? Do I need to go back and watch this? Um, you can go back and watch it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it worth checking out just to see me. <laughs> and this is obviously, obviously standard WrestleMania practice followed by a huge firework display, which I imagine being indoors in an arena like that is making a god-awful racket, but it looked incredible, as it always does, I suppose. Um, and then we get something a bit odd. I think the opening match we had Dilo Brown and the Godfather versus Bull Buchanan and the Big Boss Man. Yeah. But Ice T plays Dilo Brown and the Godfather down to the ring. I rewatched this show today for the purpose of, of our chat, but I also saw bits of it only a few months back. And a few months back, not a problem. Today, the Ice T performance is completely cut out. I'd noticed something was cut out. I didn't know what it was. And then Ice-D was shuffling off. 
um, yeah. at the point where it came back. And I was like, okay, so there was something that's been cut out there. Um, I guess they've just lost the lost the uh, license to it. Yeah, must have, must have. It's just must have been a very, very recent recent thing to happen though because like i said a f- literally only a couple of months back i i, I think timeline wise i'm not sure maybe completely wrong here maybe like a year i don't know <laughs> but in my in my head i'm thinking it was fairly recent i saw it so yeah yeah just randomly get them in the ring and and a big cut right in the middle of the show it just seemed really unusual yeah very strange yeah yeah um and a very strange sort of opener i think as well you got a couple of guys here very much of the time, very much of 2000 in the Godfather and Dilo brain. Yep. Um, the boss man's also been around a great deal. Quite important during the whole corporation era as well. Um, but you've got Bull Buchanan there who, I mean, he was around the company for, for a few years as well. in a few different, a few different characters, a few different guises. Uh, I think he looked great in this match. I think he looked yeah. really good. He did. He stood out, and like particularly, um, particularly towards the end, like the the finish, like the leg drop, beautiful. Like yeah. he gets so much height on it, and like lands. Like it looks like he's gonna like tilt too far backwards, but then he lands perfectly. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I I loved the ending sequence. I thought the ending sequence to this was fantastic. Um, and yeah, finishing with that giant leg drop just sort of capped it off. I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, I, I, I'm not going to lie. When they came down, I was looking at the, the combinations. I'm thinking, oh, I ain't sure about this. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. convinced. But at the end of the match, it, it you know, maybe it was because my expectations were lowered. I don't mm. know. But at the end of the match, I was like, no, that was all right, actually. That weren't too yeah. bad. It served its purpose. Yeah. Um, my big memory of Bull Buchanan, though, is when he was B-squared. B-squared, yeah. yeah. As like John Cena's sidekick when Cena was the doctor of thugonomics quite early on in his career um that was that's my lasting memory of Bull Buchanan I don't remember this at all until I put it on you know (laughs) oh that's interesting I did remember this but like I was watching it with a friend and he was like oh do you remember B squared I was like oh B squared so yeah like Bull Buchanan actually is one I think of the standouts from this time and I just sort of disappeared after a while it's a shame yeah I mean I think he went and did quite a bit for all japan um and maybe i think he worked somewhere else in japan as well he didn't he didn't work for new japan i think he worked for all japan and uh, maybe it was somewhere like noah or somewhere like that i'd have to look it up but he definitely was at all japan for quite a while Mm -hmm. um i thought this was all right as an opener didn't didn't offend me at all really i mean it did its job the crowd got into it i mean i'm not gonna lie i like the wwe network cutting out the ice tea performance because it was (laughs) It was awful when I saw it. Ah, so, so. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was okay. It was okay. Um, sadly, what followed was not okay, in my opinion. <laughs> we had a clip from, I suppose, what is now the kickoff or the pre-show, which back in the day was Sunday Night Heat, and that was on Channel 4 in this country every week, um, showing the, the 13... Uh, participants for a hardcore battle royal as they build it getting the rules from the referees now this made me chuckle a little bit because they've called all these guys into this this meeting room and there's two or three referees at the front and they're explaining the rules to a hardcore battle royal (laughs) which in theory is a match with no rules yeah great isn't it (laughs) it's just like (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and the whole place is full of cigar smoke because Bradshaw's just blasting away on this big fat cigar. <laughs> um, and then it leads leads to the match itself. And uh, basically, the gist of it is, if if anyone there has not seen this before, it, there's a 15 minute time limit. The the hardcore title is effectively a, a version of what we have now with a 24 seven title, I guess, but it was fought under a lot more attitude era edgier weapon based rules i guess um and the premise was the 24 7 rule was going to be suspended and whoever was champion at the end of this 15 minutes would leave with the title and that would be that so to speak um crash holly is your champion going into it and it's just a mishmash of really random characters that when I saw them, I was going, Oh yeah, I remember him, but yeah. not, not masses really to write home about other than a load of people getting hit on the head. No, exactly. This is just stuff happening. <laughs> exactly. Minutes, isn't it? <laughs> and I think like to an extent, there's a lot of that on this show um, because it's all multi-man matches and on tags and things it's like there's not an awful lot of you can follow a thread through this match and you can kind of see what's going on it's just stuff it's Mm. chaos it's nonsense yeah um, but it leads to an ending um which seemed to go wrong it did it did um according to jim ross and bruce pritchard and a few other people who were who were there at the time it was supposed to be the time runs out so that Crash Holly leaves with the championship. Um, but basically, again, I'll run down it quickly. The finish of the match is that Crash Holly is being pinned by Hardcore Holly. Crash Holly is the champion going into the last couple of seconds. He is supposed to, the the time, the 15 minute time limit is supposed to expire on the two count. Okay. So Crash leaves with the title. And Hardcore Holly stands there looking all frustrated and annoyed and grr and all that sort of stuff. But they went a second or two too early. The three count happened. Well, the ref counted one, two, and then there was a pause because he didn't want to count three. (laughs) Crash Holly's not supposed to kick out. And there was another two or three seconds left, well, two seconds left on the counter. So in theory, the three count happened, right? The ref actually counting a three. It's a big old mess. Um, Harrod Fincourt apparently got for a better term, a bollock in backstage for announcing, right. ha- for announcing hardcore Holly as the winner. But I can't see any other way that he could have gone about that, David, really. No, like it's, it's quite a nice ending. It would have been a really nice ending if it had worked, right? And hadn't had the misunderstanding right at the end of it. Because like Taz has got the Taz mission on and Crash is kind of struggling. And then like they get clocked with this like candy jar, I think it is, and sweets and glass and stuff goes everywhere. And then they go into the pin. Um and then it just kind of goes to poop. Um, but for the first time, many times this uh, in this show, the commentators sort of do a good job trying to cover what's going on. They're like, oh, hey, no, Crash got his shoulder up. And I was like, I didn't see Crash get his shoulder up. Like, no, no, Crash got his shoulder up. And then like they announce Hardcore Holly winning and they seem indignant about it. And they're kind of telling a story for the action. Yeah. In the ring. And they're doing a good job of sort of, covering if you're not really paying attention though and, and just kind of listening and half watching and they're probably covering it really well yeah i've i think that um to, to a certain degree jerry lawler 
Uh, we've we've done two of these shows before today, and I've not been very complimentary about Mr. Lawler in in much of his commentary. Um, but I think on this show, yeah, okay, you're getting the same mannerisms, the puppies, and all that sort of you know sexist nonsense. But also on this show, I think he does a, a good job, and I yeah. think a sort of I suppose MVP of the event that might go a little bit under the radar is Jim Ross. I think Jr. Yeah. on this show is superb. Um, and we'll come to that again with the ladder match later on. But how you're right, how he tried to disguise what happened here. He does a brilliant job as a commentator. Yeah. Um, the hardcore title was very much synonymous at this time with Crash Holly, wasn't it? It kind of made his career, I think, in this era. It, it was, to me, just pure comedy. And it was a great little gimmick, that, that Crash, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, whenever I think of like that um, hardcore title, I think of Crash Holly, definitely. Yeah, yeah, very sad end to, to his life. He, for those who don't know, Crash Holly passed away only a couple of years, maybe three years tops after this event. He was only 32. Um, he was found, do you remember Stevie Richards who wrestled? Stevie Richards, yeah. Yeah, ECW and he wrestled in WWE, part of the BWO and stuff. Mm. Um, he was round Stevie Richards' house. He, he was found um, basically in a pool of his own vomit with empty bottles of prescription drugs and booze all around him and it's basically ruled as an an intentional overdose he he apparently just not long received divorce papers from his wife and it was obviously too much for for the fellow which is a real shame Mm. and he took his own life which is a real real sad end to someone who i think uh i think during this period of the hardcore title he bought quite a bit of entertainment to, to numerous people it's me me for one i, I enjoyed yeah. watching the guy work so very sad very mm. sad end there to, to this young fella 32 is is nothing as well isn't it but right, exactly like he's such 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 a good talent as well like he's one of the real characters that stand out from this era for me like whenever you think back to it like crashing alcoholy and like are, are right up there for me with like the hardies and, and agent christian and stuff so yeah super sad super sad yeah very sad um Jerry Lawler here comes out with a line that does make me smile. It, obviously, the, the obvious is to dig at Crash, I suppose, about his, his height. Mm. Um, and he comes out with a comment of that Crash is so short or so small that his hair smells like feet. It's just <laughs> absolutely tickled me. And that's that's the Jerry Lawler I want to hear, you know? <laughs> that's the classic Jerry Lawler joke, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, and ultimately, after 15 minutes whether they wanted to, wanted to or not, Harko Holly leaves with a Harko title. So that yep. was the end of that. Um, the next contest, we have Testin Albert, uh, the wonderfully named TNA, <laughs> with Trish Stratus um, defeating Head Cheese, which is Al Snow and Steve Blackman. But a couple of little moments before the match as well. You had Al Snow standing outside a toilet door was I suppose Chester what was his name Chester McCheeserton <laughs> something like that the little puppet not yeah. puppet like little dressed up mascot guy yeah. who was apparently uh, making some horrific noises from the toilet and um, <laughs> Steve Blackman getting his air off and basically saying no not tonight don't mess me around tonight because it being an ongoing thing from what I can remember um, and then you cut to one of those scenes where you see the wrestlers, I suppose, walking towards what they refer to as gorilla position or, or the entrance ramp or whatever backstage. 
uh, rather than focus on the huge athletic specimen that is Test or the huge athletic specimen that is Albert. <laughs> for the first couple of seconds as they're talking, we focus firmly on Trish Stratus's <laughs> chest. <laughs> oh man, I um got to get a drink at this point, right? So okay, I walked away from my screen. I came back and there was just boobs, and I was like, <laughs> "What is going on? Have I accidentally changed the channel?" But no, brilliant. I mean, I was, I was all about Trish Stratus at this. She is like, I had the. I just adored this lady and I still do to a degree to the point where for Christmas, my wife bought me a Trish Stratus, uh, what they called Funko pop things. Are they? Oh, nice. Yeah. For Christmas. Like, cause she knows that I just, I just adore this woman. You know? It's <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's one of those things that's very much of its time. Yeah. And 18 year old me wasn't complaining. And I'm not going to lie today. 40 year old me wasn't complaining. <laughs> However, it's not, <laughs> it's not really ideal looking at it through 2021's eyes, I guess, is it? No, it, it, it took me back a bit again. Um, it's one of those things, isn't it? But, but on the note of chests, um, I was pleased to see that Albert had covered his for this. Yes. <laughs> so I wasn't quite so distracted by his hairiness compared to his shiny legs. Um, and he looks pretty good, actually. This is the Albert that I remember, right? I didn't remember necessarily Albert in like the 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 skimpy gear. I remembered Albert in the effectively tight t-shirt and leather pants, um, and it looks good on him. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a massive fella. He's got a really interesting look with the the way he shaves his beard and the piercings everywhere and stuff yeah. and the tattoos. You can see why the WWE looked at him and thought, okay, that we can try and make money with this fella, can't you? Yeah, definitely. And he did. He had a great career out in Japan as well. I think, didn't he? He did well out there for a while. Before yeah, and then back. he came back as Tensai. Yeah. yeah, and then ended up dancing with the Funkadactyls and Brodus Clay. Yeah, was it Tons of Fun? They were called or Tons of Tons of Funk? Tons of Funk. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think I blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but there we go. Now, but that's a that's another tag team that I definitely remember from this era. They stood out to me. Like they're the big brawlery tag team, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it's, it's that thing of the two huge guys, two great looks as well. I mean, I mean, Tess looked a million dollars, didn't he? Tess, you yeah. can see why again, they, they loved Tess with the long hair and the, the body and the height and so on. Both of these guys, maybe I suppose in hindsight, looking back, maybe missing a little bit of the whole, character or charisma side of things but then that would be why trish was with them yeah i guess it makes from that standpoint to me it makes perfect sense that that whole them as as a package deal i guess definitely um and it it it, it helped them didn't it like it definitely helped them over the time that she was with them i don't know how long she was with them but it felt like a long time as, as i remember it um but yeah like um TNA and Trish are just like one of those classic combinations, I guess. Um, yeah. And like her, she does definitely complete the package as sort of someone who can can do a bit of speaking for them and a bit of sort of being the front man of that band or whatever it is. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I don't know time wise. I mean, what are we on sixteen? By WrestleMania seventeen, Test was the European champion, and Trish was involved in the whole. Vince and uh, Linda Shane storyline as Vince's bit on the side and so on. 
Right. So they might have lasted a year, maybe less than a year. So okay. that sort of time frame, I guess, without looking it up. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is quite synonymous. And I suppose it was her first real big role as well, wasn't it, for Trish? Yeah, I guess so. Mm. I mean, what did you think of the match? I mean, you've got some pretty talented individuals in there, a beautiful lady and a, and a slice of cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, the match was, it was fine. Wasn't it? Um, nothing particularly stood out to me as memorable. Um, Al Snow's like a really solid wrestler, does some unique stuff like the, the, um, I remember talking at the time. I don't know if he does it in this match. He might've done um, like the arm trap, belly to belly suplex. Uh, he probably doesn't do it in this one because the other guys are big. Um, but yeah, the um, I enjoy the the kind of odd couple relationship of Al Snow and Steve Blackman. They're both really solid in the ring, and Tess Albert really solid in the ring. And it's it's a solid match. It's just not particularly memorable. Yeah, and I think that's um, a, a sort of theme that reoccurs with a few of these matches on this yeah. show. Really, I, I like this. I, like, I know what you mean about the odd couple mix as well, because. Al Snow's there with this Chester McCheese return. If you've not seen this, people, Google it, have a little look. He's basically a little fella dressed up as a slice of cheese to try and bring, uh, I don't know, a mascot or luck or a bit of fun to this this head cheese tag team, as Al Snow's called it. Um, so Al Snow's, you know, in a way, I suppose, the comedy side, the lighthearted side of it. And Steve Blackman is always dead serious, dead straight, no nonsense. And it does kind of work for me. I agree with you, David. It is quite, it's quite a good little combination, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, it's the odd couple thing, isn't it? It, yeah. it works with Daniel Bryan and Kane. It worked with, um, it, it, it works pretty much anytime you do it, as long as both like participants are, are playing their role. And, um, Al, Al Snow and Steve Blackman definitely, kind of play their role as well yeah yeah i mean the finish comes with another big move off the top rope similar to uh one of the matches we saw earlier but this time from test that looked really impressive um al snow and actually al snow and um blackman before this use a quite a clever move or, or almost a throwback to demolition in a way where blackman has his opponent in a backbreaker position and Al Snow comes off the ropes with a leg drop as opposed to the elbow drop that Demolition would have done. And I love anything little sort of little mini throwbacks to those older tag teams. I, I really enjoy th- that side of things. Yeah. And that one looks brutal too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they give it to the cheese at the end as well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Poor they, they, they just, yeah, they decide that the cheese is no good. He's not, he's not bought them luck or whatever it is they wished he would do. So they just get the crap out of the cheese and he takes one real stiff kick from Blackman. Doesn't oh he? yeah. They were, um, it looked a little scrappy that, that, that segment at the end looked a little scrappy, didn't it? Yeah. And the downside was people didn't really seem to care. No, there was nothing I, from the crowd. And I don't know. I feel like even back then, right. It, I'm going to say it because it's the only word I can think of. It's too cheesy. Like (laughs) it's a pun. I know. I'm sorry. But like the, um, the, the whole thing is just, it's too like, huh? Cheese. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, something I've noticed about Steve Blackman as well, watching these pay-per-views, he's popped up a couple of times and watching old episodes of raw and so on. There was, I've been racking my brains for ages because he reminds me of someone. All right. But I couldn't place who it was at all until literally this afternoon. And I was like, that's who it is. And I even Googled the person to make sure I was not thinking of somebody else. Uh And I wrote the note down 
But now I look at it, I think, oh man, that's not in the best taste. But Steve Blackman with the beard, the dark hair, and those starey eyes, it reminds me of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, really? <laughs> if, you Google, if you Google Peter Sutcliffe, he's Doing got the, same, right the same beard. Oh, it, yeah, it's that well defined beard, isn't it? You know, and the eyes, the starey eyes, it's like. But I've, I've been racking my brains for so long wondering who Steve Blackman reminds me of. And it just literally popped in my head today. Oh, it's the Yorkshire Ripper. And I'll tell I've, you what, though. Like comparisons like that are sometimes like it it's that sort of little x factor of intensity or character or whatever it is that makes in this case steve blackman believable right because peter sutcliffe right actual psycho yes right no questions about that That's no i don't think anyone's going to argue with there dave no nope. S- steve blackman when you look at him in character looks like a psycho yeah yeah his whole gimmick is this guy will mess you up. And it's that sort of thing. That's what they call the X factor, right? It's having that trait that you really can hook into and believe in. And it's comparison. Like you can make comparisons like that because Steve Blackman had it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And the thing is as well, he's obviously got the background he's got of all the, um, the martial arts and all the training he has and he's, he's a genuinely dangerous man and people backstage always talk about how he was a really tough, hard individual in, in reality as well so that sort of comes across on screen as well I guess um, but yeah, you're right, that sort of it is that thing, of, I just didn't know where it was that I, I could place him from <laughs> It's and the I, believability It's just Yeah, yeah. It, It's, yeah yeah, there we go. So I don't know if we're going to call any other wrestlers from 2000 serial killers, but we'll have a scan through the show. <laughs> See, you. See you where we go to. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I agree with something you said earlier. It was kind of, it was just there, wasn't it? It's kind of a forgettable match. It's kind of nothing spectacular, I guess. Um, I, I mean, we're three matches in and there's nothing hugely stand out to me as yet, you know? Yeah, no, I'd, I'm firm agreement on that, definitely. But I think this changes quite a bit with the next match, and I think this is a real sort of, I suppose, eye-opener to what's about to come in the next six months to a year with regards to Edge and Christian, the Dudley boys, and the Hardy boys, because they have a triangle ladder match, as it's described here, for the WWF Tag Team Championship. This again, it's a stunt show. It's crazy bumps. It's it's a lot going on because there's six competitors, but at the same time, you can see it's sort of like a stepping stone towards the TLC matches that are going to be coming in the next year, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like the this is danger the match, right? Yes. Like the the crowd reactions you're getting from this are like pockets of like tense silence followed by oh. Christ, all right. Yeah. Um, repeat for like 10, 15 minutes, however long it went. Um, but it's gripping stuff for that reason. Possibly yeah. less impactful watching it back these days, though. Like, just because so much of it happens on such a regular basis now. And I think we probably talked about this with the Hell in a Cell stuff as well um, the last time around. But like watching this back now, um, knowing that it's like the precursor to like the TLC matches and stuff and all this stuff that was really groundbreaking in wrestling, particularly in WWF wrestling. Um, watching it back now, I'm just like, oh, that's a bump. 
Oh, yeah, it's a lot, lot of bumps here. Oh, that was really near a ladder. Um, but I'm not like, oh, tearing my hair out like I would have been at the time. Um, and yeah, it's that thing of like the more you're exposed to something, the less impact it has on you. And it, it's like watching these things back. It's always kind of a shame that I'm kind of like, I remember watching this match when I was a kid and being like, this is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, much like the one from the Royal Rumble, like mm. two months prior. Um, that they had that was a tables match but it still had the ladders and the jumping off high things and all that stuff um but yeah the um the the sort of visceral impact of watching that match now wasn't as great although you can still appreciate it for what it was at the time yeah totally it is i suppose it's a case of that um if something's done too often it loses its effect i guess i yeah. I I, I often refer to it when I'm talking wrestling with with my wife uh, as the DDT effect or the superkick effect. Yeah, where these things used to be a big deal. I mean, Shawn Michaels won world titles with a superkick, as I keep yeah. referencing back to. Nowadays, especially if you watch um, a particular tag team that my daughter seems to adore on AEW, the the superkick is used 47 times in the space of 20 minutes. Yeah. Which is fine. It's entertaining. I enjoy it, but it makes no sense to me as a <laughs> as a fan who's grown up watching the Superkick win world titles. Um, it's the same as these bumps, and I don't want to belittle anything the guys do because I really enjoy these matches. Yeah. Um, but I can't refer to it in any other way as than calling it stunts. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is. They're, they're working their way between these giant spots for the time, right? Yeah. Um, and it's that thread of getting between each of these ridiculous, dangerous moments in the match that makes it so, like, the entire thing so tense. And it's like, what are they going to do next? How are they going to top what they just did? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's a few things in this match that, again, like I said, it kind of, this kind of adds as, like, another stepping stone, I guess, towards the TLCs, which are often the ones that people look back on. Mm. You've got... Edge spearing Jeff off a ladder yeah. um, in the middle of the ring. Now, that eventually became a very, very similar spot to when Edge speared Jeff Hardy off the actual belts that were hanging from the ceiling. It's it was, just like a, a bigger version of that, that yeah. move, I guess. It was uncannily consistent like in the execution of it as well. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, that aerial camera as well. I think oh, this yeah. is the f- one of the first times I'd seen it. Mm. But that camera sort of comes down from above and looks down on the ring. I mean, I think Jerry Lawler referred to it as the Wally Coyote cam. <laughs> Wally Coyote cam. Uh, yeah. Which again was another great, you know, Lawlerism, I guess. But that camera just adds so much to to, to the match that you're watching, and, and future matches as well. Um, one moment that really made me laugh: Christian was trying to climb the ladder. To, to retrieve the belts Bubba gets in the ring and rather than grab his legs and pull him off or wrestle him down or climb the ladder and hit him on the neck or anything like that he literally just curls up his hand and punches Christian straight in the butt <laughs> yes literally right at the, uh, he picks a butt cheek and just decides I'm going to give you a dead arse and just yeah. jabs him straight in the butt you know? I remember, I remember <laughs> which, that which, specifically because it stood out to me as weird as well yeah but it worked yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean yeah. I, I guess if you've got a numb bum, climbing a ladder is difficult, I guess. I, yeah. I've never, I, I suppose. 
I, I try not. I try not to get in a situation where I have to do that. But no, I can't imagine where it pop up in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like if I've injured myself, I'm not getting up and doing any decorating at that time. So like. Yeah. No, I mean, if the wife like gives you a swift, swift kick at the backside, <laughs> you're not going to be hanging any wallpaper or anything like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe if she's kicking you at the backside to get the spider out of the top corner of the room, that's probably the situation you'd be in. Oh, there you go. Well, I suppose going forward from from WrestleMania 2000, Christian was fully trained and prepared for spider, you know, retrieval. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. You know who to call if you need to get someone to do it for you. That's it. <laughs> um, we get the the, the Jeff Hardy running the crowd barrier spot into the ladder being thrown at him by Bubba Ray. Uh, every time I see this, it must, I'm, I'm just, my breath took away more so than some of the big bumps off the ladders or anything. Just Jeff Hardy running that, that crowd barrier with the fans there. Like they're, they're not, I don't think they've been told to move. No, it's no, I mean, so they tend, they have incredible. security, don't they? But like probably less so at that time than they do these days. Yeah, it's amazing to me. I mean, all it takes is for a kid to have spilt his drink or something and, and not be noticed. It's amazing. And he just literally runs the barrier. And then to top it off, he gets no reward for it. I'm going to face full of ladder. Yeah. And he's so good at like that ragdoll bumping that yeah. everything looks like it kills him. Like, yeah. Totally. It just adds so much impact to it. Um, there's a sort of 3D stroke cutter on Christian from the top of a ladder, which I think looks yeah. amazing as well. Um, and the finish again is, is, is unique and clever. They, they build up a, a platform. Was it edge and Christian? No, the Dudleys, wasn't it? Put a platform on the top of the two ladders. Yeah. Yes. With a table. Yeah. Which ends up eventually with Matt going through a platform, uh, sorry, a ladder on the floor and edge and Christian pick up the, 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 the win and the WWF tag team titles. And, I I was just sat there at the end of it going, wow, that was that was incredible. I, yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that. Again, yeah. it's it's been watered down in recent times, but to me, I, I enjoyed that, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely a, a highlight of this show. Yeah, I mean, it's not got masses of competition, to be fair. <laughs> no, that's true. But um, it was a highlight <laughs> of the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, shortly after this, I suppose we have the the moments to kind of break up the matches i guess to give people a bit of a breather after that that insane 25 minutes or so ladder match and we have the aforementioned um cat fight with terry and cats which we won't go back and cover again now um swiftly yes (laughs) (laughs) um kevin kelly is there as well and he speaks with Linda McMahon and Mick Foley about the fatal four-way elimination match coming up for the, in the main event of the show. Um, as good a businesswoman as Linda may have been or may well still be, she's not made for an on-screen role, is she? Let's be fair to her. No. You know, she, <laughs> she doesn't look like she enjoys this match. I feel like she, yeah, I've, like whenever you see Linda, it seems like she'd rather be in the office. Yeah. Like um, doing some accountancy or something. Yeah, totally. Totally. But she's bought Mick Foley back from retirement. As you may remember from the last time David was on the show, uh, Foley was forced into retirement after losing to Triple H at No Way Out. Yeah. He's been bought back for this one off occasion because he never got the opportunity to main event WrestleMania in his career. So that's the basis of Linda bringing him back, apparently. 
So she, uh, Mick Foley is her representative in what they dub the McMahon in every corner later on, which is great, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I don't know, like it, it's becoming apparent at this point that the match is more about them than it is about the match. Yes. Um, already. Um, so yeah, we'll see, see how that pans out later on. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, we have another multi-person match after this. Surprise, surprise. We have China and Tuchel. Mm, interesting pairing. Yeah, I don't quite understand how that came about. I, I must admit, I didn't do masses of watching Raw and SmackDown between the two pay-per-views. I watched a few episodes of Raw after No Way Out, the last time we recorded, but I've not watched anything building up to WrestleMania. So I'm not sure why these came around, other than China wanted to get at Eddie Guerrero. Um, and it ended up being a six-person tag. That's the only thing I can kind of figure out, really. Yeah, and there's some really interesting um, sort of back and forth between Eddie and China as this match goes through. I thought this was one of the more interesting matches um, on the on the rest of the undercard. Um, and the like, firstly, it was a really good wrestling match because too cool. Again, I'll say it because no one ever says this, and um, they deserve more credit than they get. Are really good wrestlers. Um, yeah. And obviously the radicals are really good wrestlers, um, and Eddie like is standing out in this one as like showing all of that character that he has, um, trying to get China's attention. Um, and I think it, it does a good job of what it's trying to do. It sort of furthers that Eddie China story, and like it's just served as a really solid tag team match um, in, as we move towards the main event. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I agree. I've got the similar sort of note here about Eddie Guerrero, it's, it's a lot of good workers in this match. I mean, Dean Malenko is absolutely fantastic. I can watch his WCW stuff again and again and again. The guy is, the guy is incredible, but Eddie Guerrero's just got star written all over him. Even back yeah. at this time, hasn't he? He just stands out an absolute mile. And he's, he's got this obsession at this stage with China, who is apparently got no interest in him whatsoever. <laughs> And that's how this match has been built towards, from what I can gather. And it goes a little shy of 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, eventually Eddie Guerrero gets pinned by China. Um, her gear sort of starts giving away <laughs> at some stage, which you kind of feel sorry for in a way, because it, they're doing a good job and she's putting off some good moves. And she looks good in this match. I'm not a massive China fan, as I've probably said to you before. Mm. But she looks good in this match as well until until her gear starts splitting and you start thinking, oh yeah. man, that's that's so unfortunate for. And her. it's like people use this term like obviously to to um, refer to other things, but this is a legit wardrobe malfunction, right? Like yes. her gear has split and it, like her like tights are falling down essentially as she's trying to wrestle, which I can only imagine is the most annoying thing that could possibly happen. Um, but she does a reasonably good job of getting like that end stretch of the match kind of like taped together with keeping her trousers up um and yeah it's like it's enjoyable like to watch like through through to the end yeah yeah very good uh, also another perhaps wrongly so but another match that kind of i think gets overlooked a little bit and kind of disappears into i suppose into nothingness really it doesn't stand yeah. out long term i mean the china guerrero uh, storyline develops much more from here over the next six months to a year, I suppose. 
so this starting point or one of the early points in it kind of i suppose gets overlooked potentially yeah i think you're probably right but there is some good like it it does a good job of showing like china as this really strong character there's some really good strength spots sort of in that ending stretch um where she kind of effectively overpowers eddie right um and that really sets the stage for everything that's coming up with that relationship yeah yeah i think so there's also a nice little moment as well as they leave the ring um china and two call of of won the match um as they're leaving china goes to put her arms in there and celebrate and scotty too hot he actually holds her trousers up for her <laughs> as they're, wa- as they're walking along yeah they're, they're outside they're, they're on sort of the hard cam side and they're walking in past the ring towards the ramp and there's there's like the three of them there plus a cameraman i think the ref is there trying to raise her hands so there's a few people around but she puts her arms in the air and you can see scotty too hot he's hold got his arm around her and holding the opposite side of her trousers up which i thought was a lovely little touch oh, bless him. <laughs> He seems like such a good guy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, actually, we mentioned Scotty Zuhotti on a previous show you joined us for, and we said about you adding the worm to your, your repertoire moves. Uh, how's, how's that going? Dave, any training on that yet? Or? Well, I've, no, I've <laughs> not been able to train at all for the last like three or four months. We've been in lockdown, but uh, I, I used to be able to do it. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, why? I, I got relatively flexible back. I can, I can just about... Well, I used to be able to do it. I'll um, next time I get in a wrestling ring, I'll try it again. I'll let you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Signed. I want to see this. This will be good. Mm. <laughs> um, we have something else, I suppose, after this match that's very much a snippet of its time. It's one of those competitions they used to run around the Attitude Era. We're giving out tickets to WrestleMania and and so on, and flying people in for the show. And and um, I've made no notes of the people's names or where they were from or any because I don't want to be prejudiced about certain areas of America or certain mentalities <laughs> of certain people. But I'm not going to lie; these people were gross, man. <laughs> That's not very nice. But I mean, um, I, I'm not, I, honestly look how you look dress how you want to dress i mean i'm a big fat bloke with you know i never i live in constantly living wrestling t-shirts and so on people might look at me and think i'm gross but there's one thing that stood out to me that i hated oh when they knocked on her door to give her the surprise of you won these tickets to wrestlemania we're flying you out in a jet and all this sort of stuff she stood there and she's got a kid next to her who can be no more than maybe four right and she's got her arm around the kid and in that hand is a bloody cigarette Ah. Uh. And it's about three inches from this poor kid's face. Man, and I'm just thinking it wasn't like, frowned upon back then, though, was it? I just like, and both my parents smoked, right? So yeah, mine, yeah. Um, smoking in in my world was like a fairly normal thing. Um, not that I ever did it, but just because I was put off by the fact that both my parents did. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I didn't notice that probably for that reason that, that like I've always been like, yeah, people smoke is what it is. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. They, like there was, they were an interesting family. I thought, and like what stood out to me more than anything was how like, um, how set up all of those um, individual segments of that little piece were. Where like, and it's always like this, right? It's the same on like GMTV's things if they still do it. Is GMTV still the thing? I don't know. I don't watch TV. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like, was that whenever like some, whenever someone. After? <laughs> um whenever someone like wins stuff on tv like it's it's meant to be this spontaneous surprise but actually the whole family are already there yeah like really yeah right. and and the kids the kids are dressed and their hair's brushed and yeah 
Yeah, no, one, and... no one's getting caught by actual surprise on these things. I don't believe no it for way. a second. I mean, honestly, at the moment, um, well, not not at the moment because I'm locked down. But if you banged on my door at say half past seven in the morning with a live TV camera and it wasn't set up, <laughs> my, my wife will probably answer the phone and swear at you. <laughs> I'll most likely still be in bed. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of my kids is running around with no clothes on. It's just, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> see, that's why you can't do these things properly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, we got some brilliant wrestlers in the next contest. It's a triple yeah. threat match. Um, it's quite an interesting stipulation, really. Kurt Angle here is the. Oh, as he explains to a security guard before the match, he's been a, he's been quite smug and obnoxious in, in that brilliant way we discussed at the Rumble, um, which makes you just want the guy to lose straight away. Um, he's explaining to the security guard there that he's the Euro Continental Champion, <laughs> meaning he's the European Champion and Intercontinental Champion. And it's a triple threat with two pinfalls. So the first pinfall or the first decision shall we say is for the intercontinental title and then the match will then continue and the winner of the second fall will win the european title which i think is quite a clever little concept really for both the belts being on the line yeah definitely and it's a really really clever way of unburdening angle of them without getting him pinned or yeah. submitted this is exactly. um a really good piece of booking actually um it's uh really clever like it allows for some really interesting interactions during the match as well um and it's yeah i, th- I thought this was a really enjoyable match um it's, it's not probably a patch on what these guys go on to do later in their careers like together um but there's some nice moments in it um like uh is it jericho breaks out a uh, like full Nelson suplex on angle that just looks horrifying. Mm, yes. Um, and yeah, it's smart. They have um, Benoit go over Jericho, I think. Um, and then Jericho go over Benoit, um, which sets those two up um, to have their own things later on. Um, and it sort of frees angle up without those belts to go on to bigger things himself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very cleverly done. Um, so about, angle as well it's just little touches for me they, they they're calling it the euro continental champion he's referring to himself as uh, in an attempt i suppose to abbreviate his um title wins his title name i guess yeah um but then after using that abbreviated term he goes on to explain exactly what that means <laughs> and names both titles anyway and it's just the most obnoxious ridiculous smug thing ever and it just adds just little things that out of what are absolutely brilliant there's another moment where um benoit is pinning jericho with a i I think it's like a northern lights suplex potentially it's basically a german with with a neck bridge i don't know the exact is that northern lights oh no that's just that's literally just a german suplex Okay, yeah, he's, he's pinning him there with a with a neck bridge there, um, and Angle comes in to make the save to to save his title, obviously, yeah. um, and rather than just clobber the pair of them or bundle into them like you see so often in these situations, he goes a little bit extra across the mat to clip out Benoit's ankles to break the bridge and and you know just a little thing like that I noticed and I thought oh that's quite nice because it makes I'm- perfect sense. I'm nodding like a maniac because that stood out to me as well. It was a really, really nice little moment. Like 
that rather than barreling into it and like visually breaking up the entire pinfall that way, that he does something really technical and wrestlery mm. that suits what he's meant to be. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just so clever. So clever. Um, and also, again, on, on another you know, note, at Kurt Angle note, I guess, he misses the move, ultimately. But how beautiful is it when Kurt oh. Angle does a moonsault? Yeah, and it's not even like 100% as beautiful as it gets in the future either. Yeah. But like, this is like the beginning of the Kurt Angle moonsault, and it's still like floaty and amazing. And it's only going to get floatier and more amazing as time goes on. That's that's a brilliant way of putting it, floaty. Because I was I was going to explain it as it almost like it almost like he slows down in the air. Yeah, it's so strange. It almost like it yeah. it's almost like it, it, it's against the rules of physics for him to be able to do what he does because he slows mm. down. But it it just looks amazing, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, anyone who can pull off anything like that is incredible. Anyway, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when you see some guys do a moonsault, it goes slightly to the side or diagonal, and it still looks incredible. But Kurt Angles is 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 like pretty much dead straight his feet are together it's like i just sit there and go man that's so good if i could do a moonsault that's what i wanted to look like yeah yeah <laughs> it's textbook totally textbook and then some it's like yeah exactly exemplary. it's amazing so good so good um yeah i mean ultimately we end up with as you explained the the two decisions going the way they do angle ends up with neither championship and uh, Benoit leaves with the Intercontinental title. Jericho leaves with the European title, which he loses the following night on Raw oh. to Eddie Guerrero when China turns on Jericho and sides with Guerrero. So that's the start of the two of them being a couple, I guess, and her being referred to as Mamacita all the time. And so it's literally the very next day that it, it all kicks off for him. So that was, that was quite interesting for me to read. Wow, I did not. Yeah, I didn't know that happened so soon after. No, I, I mean, looking at the actual WrestleMania match, it's. I'd have thought there'd have been more legs to that. I'd have thought they'd have yeah. disagreed for a lot longer. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, David, whilst I've got you here on this match, there's a moment, and I can't remember the exact way round it works, but there's an there's a moment where somebody is thrown, um, and rather than hitting the canvas, because they're so close to the ropes, the back of their head hits the bottom rope. Um, and it kind of uh, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't really spring off the bottom rope so to speak, but it bumps the bottom rope before they hit the deck. And I wanted to ask you about that with, with your experiences of being in the ring. Mm. I'm assuming that that is much much worse than taking an ordinary bump. <laughs> and I, I'm also I'm also wondering is that something that's ever happened to you, and what kind of effect does it have on on your neck and uh, your your head as well? I mean, to me, if you get donked on the back of the head like that, you, you're going to be seeing stars. Yeah, so ring ropes um, in WWE, they're probably actual rope, right? Because there's two kinds. There's like the steel cable ropes, um, which I think like Impact might have used and, and some people use it. They're sort of just metal um, metal cable, effectively, like high-tension metal cable. Um, yeah. Or there's ring ropes that I'm pretty sure the ones WWE use that are like actual rope, just really thick rope. Um, and if you ever held a really thick rope, there's not an awful lot I give to it. No, no. Um, and when they stretch it really tight around a wrestling ring, there's only as much give as you kind of put into it. Um, so if you are falling and your head connects with it on the way back down, it, it could knock you out. Like I'm sure there has been like situations where people have hit their head on the back of the rope and it's not them out, but also like it's elevated off the floor. Right. 
um, in a position such that, like, as you go down, it's going to, like, force your neck forwards if your head hits it. Um, so it's very much the sort of thing that you want to avoid doing. Um, and it's, like, it's just happened there as a result of just a little bit of a miscalculation, and it won't have felt very nice, I can tell you that much. Um, but they, like, they're professionals, right? And this kind of, like, accidents happen in wrestling, and you just have to kind of, like, as long as you're, like, not hurt her you carry on yeah yeah i understand but I mean, i'm sort of looking at it as again very much outside looking into that world you're getting donked on the back of the head like that there's obviously potential concussion issues there i suppose because you say again it's, it's a tight rope it's taut that you're banging your head against mm. but also i suppose the whiplash on your neck as well like, yeah. like muscle in potential muscle pulls there as well i guess yeah definitely like there's all sorts of things that can go wrong when you when that particular thing happens like you're falling backwards and you hit your head on something like if you think you're falling backwards you hit your head on the table um it's not as bad as that because the table's not gonna have any give at all but like the rope is gonna like as you fall down if you don't slip past it which normally is what happens to be there um then it can ping your head back the other way um, as a, as the sort of elasticity bounces back, um, it it's not something you ever really want to do, and most people will will avoid it like the plague, and it, it would have been an accident, definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It was just sort of. I mean, it, again, I've never been in the ring. I've never. I've got no desire to. I, I couldn't do what you fellas do, but seeing that made me go oh at home. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. You know, and so it should definitely. Yeah. Um, one little odd thing I don't know why this I find this strange it shouldn't really make much of a difference but the two titles being on the line here it felt odd to me that the Intercontinental title was the first decision and the European Championship the second decision yeah like I always did have in the, in my mind they were they were in the other sort of way of importance yeah I mean the, like, the history I suppose for the for the IC title for a start yeah um, so yeah, that was an interesting decision. I, I didn't really think um, too much about which title ended up with who when I was watching it. Um, but yeah, now you've mentioned it, they're having the. I, I was expecting the European to be the first four. Mm. I suppose Jericho's the babyface here. He's picking up the Euro title, having him effectively win the match in his music play. I guess might might have come into it maybe thinking about yeah. it now. But yeah, I, I'd have thought the other way round because of the order of importance i suppose but yeah okay hmm. um our next segment we get michael cole with his lovely little highlights backstage um with vince mcmahon vince is representing the rock in the four corners match and mcmahon in every corner as you mentioned earlier yeah um and he's talking about the rock's chances and what's going to happen and how he's going to make it right with regards to his dysfunctional family but i can't really focus on what's going on because i'm watching this whole segment just thinking how uncomfortable it looks <laughs> vince is if you, if you imagine like a footstool or or a, a, a little seat or something like that, and sometimes you put your foot one foot up on it and lean on your leg as you're talking to your mates yeah he's doing that but the table he's leaning on is much higher than you would anticipate <laughs> so he's almost like he's having a proper athletic stretch whilst wearing this suit and then t michael cole is effectively uh, michael cole is, is effectively sharing vince's trousers at this stage he's in such a close <laughs> proximity to to mr mcmahon to, to the chairman's crotch and i'm just watching it, i'm thinking this is so surreal this is a really odd scene 
Do you know what I mean? It was just so yeah. weird. It's a very Vince scene, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure. I'm sure he was really amused by what he was doing. Yeah, backstage, he's just chuckling away to himself. <laughs> yeah, Cole, get right close to me, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> um, the penultimate match on the card is again, I suppose, a, a bit of an odd pairing tag team wise. We have Kane and Rikishi, and they're facing the DX partnership of X Pac and the Road Dog. Or X Pac, I guess they say, don't they? Um, and Tori is accompanying the Degeneration X team with Paul Bearer alongside Kane for the other side. Um, only a few minutes here, four minutes or so. More so, I think, about Kane's old buddy Pete Rose turning up, I think, just to get him, get that spot in again, as they yeah. did with previous WrestleMania, David. We weren't sure, like um, me and my friends when I was watching it, um, whether we whether they'd like cut it, cut time from the match because like they really sort of raced in and got straight to the point of the rest, like the the match and getting through it sort of at a pace. Um, and then like they had that extended Pete Rose segment after where all I wanted, and I knew this was never going to happen, but all I wanted was the two call to come out and put glasses on both Rikishi and Kane. Oh, yes. I was thinking exactly the same the thing. Um, but I didn't get my wish. I only got half my wish. Because um, Tuchel did indeed come out and I got excited just for a second that for some reason I might enter an alternate reality and Kane might do some dancing for me. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, I, that that's my main takeaway from this match. There was there was stink faces, there was a Bronco Buster or something, but again, much of it was not super memorable. Um, but the aftermath was kind of memorable, if only not quite what I wanted. Yeah, that's so weird. I was thinking exactly the same thing with the glasses for Kane. I was really hoping yeah. it. Ha- I know it didn't. But I was really hoping it would. That's so. <laughs> that's so surreal. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. I didn't pick up on this when I watched it earlier, but you mentioning that does make a lot of sense. They did seem to tear straight into it and get through things very quickly. Um, there's like two stink face attempts within a minute at the very beginning, isn't there? Tori's in the ring very early. She's then outside having problems with Paul Bearer. It seems a lot of things happen that you potentially space out a little bit, I guess, yeah. in a very short period. So I think, you know, that's a really good observation. I didn't think of that, but I think you're right there. But, I mean, they must have been running short on... I mean, the pay-per-view went just a little over three hours, which for the time was a touch longer than normal. You know, we were like two hours 40, two hours 45 around this time, I think. Hmm. It was so, definitely... It definitely felt like it was, it was um, longer than than the average one around this time. And like, mm. there's always the thing of like, um, back then, I, I mean, I guess it's still the case now, but like pay-per-view time is super expensive, right? If you overrun yeah, on the show, then you're, you're paying out like thousands of pounds per minute or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, for like, they must've had the time booked, um, but maybe they were just sort of making sure they, they got everything they wanted to in with the after segment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the the really famous incident of where a pay per view did overrun, isn't there? With Halloween Havoc '98 and the uh, Hogan Warrior rematch in WCW from WrestleMania six, and the nobody saw the finish. I think it was Hogan Warrior. Nobody <laughs> saw the finish. Uh, yeah, and it had to be reshown on Nitro um, for nothing the next night. And I think they wow. replayed the whole thing <laughs> on 
or, or at least a big chunk of it the following night again on the Tuesday as well. I think it was Halloween Havoc 98. I believe so. Wow. That's in a my head. Mistake, isn't it? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I, I might, again, for some reason now I'm thinking a DDP match, so I might be wrong. But Hogan, Warrior, Halloween Havoc 98 also rings a bell. But yeah, it definitely happened with WCW. But I mean, why wouldn't it? Because, you know, WCW. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wouldn't, put them past, I wouldn't put it past them doing it deliberately. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, and Eric Bischoff chuckling away to himself and his evil yeah. empire about how clever he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a line here from Joey Lauder, which is just quite uncomfortable, as he refers to Kane as a big red, well, retard, which oh. is something he used quite regularly at this time about Kane. It doesn't age well at all, does it? Not even a little bit. That's like oh. one of those, like, as, as you watch wrestling from this time, like, your eyebrows raise at stuff like fairly constantly um but that was a big one like it it's so weird to hear that in 2021 as like yeah. something even remotely acceptable um but yeah yeah my wife was sat on the other sofa not really watching the show she she was on her phone and we'd not long had a delivery and my wife makes um uh, sort of resin um items i guess trinkets jewelry yeah. and so on so she just had a delivery and was checking that through so she's not paying any attention at all <laughs> uh, and as this line is said she literally looked up and went whoa <laughs> out of nowhere yeah. you know <laughs> so it's that's kind of the, i think um, yeah that's the impact it has these days yeah without a doubt without a doubt okay i mean ultimately uh who picked up the win here kane and rikishi won in the end didn't they and then we had the the dancing segment at the end which was great but again, like you said, it was, it was kind of again a nothing, a nothing match, was it? It was kind of there. I, I wouldn't even say it was it was filler because it, it came across like as as you explained, it was cut short. So yeah, very odd, I suppose, time wise. Um, but they got the Pete Rose moment in for the second or third year running, I suppose. So they were happy with that. Um, next we have a promo from The Rock. And I've literally just got one note that says, so bloody good. <laughs> yeah, it's The Rock, isn't it? And he's kind of like doing almost like a train spotting speech thing here, right? Um, so like, I think it's a speech from train spotting where he's just like listing things, like in a rhythmic pattern. Right, okay. Yeah, throughout yep. this promo. And it, it's kind of, it, it catches your ear, it catches your eyes, kind of like he's going through it. And like the, the confidence and the delivery, um, and it, it kind of gives you a feel of like, one of those slightly different, slightly special iconic rock promos where he goes off slightly from his usual stick and adds something extra in. Yeah, I mean, the guy's just so bloody brilliant. And it's well, I mean, he could just, he could be saying anything at all. And I, you know, you just can't help but watch. He's just absolutely mesmerizing. And you can see why, I suppose, so many people cite him as one of the best on the microphone in the history of the business, you can see why so many, so many guys who followed him kind of pick up little traits of his. I mean, I think you look at, um, Eli Drake in TNA and the NWA. And now most recently he's called, uh, LA Knight in NXT. He's very much got a delivery in the same way the rock has. Mm. Um, Ricky 
I think his name's Ricky Starks or Ricky Sparks Ricky in AEW. Starks. He's yes. very rock influenced. He does seem to be, yeah. Yeah, the first time I saw him was again on the NWA YouTube show that they used to have a little while back. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Real throwback, I suppose. Funny, that's talking about Jim Crockett earlier on the show. A real throwback to that studio wrestling Jim Crockett era, I guess. Yeah. And, and the first time I saw him, he came out and and I can't remember if he wrestled first and then had an interview or the other way around, e- either way. And I just watched him and thought, wow, this guy's just it's like listening to the rock just not quite as good yeah you know but he's got a... time man that's the thing yeah so much time to get even but like the sky's the limit for him definitely yeah definitely definitely again i i really like eli drake I and mean, i can't tell you much about any particular eli drake matches i watched a lot of impact wrestling with him in i've been watching him in the nwa when he went there for a while i can't tell you a great deal about any of his matches but i can tell you about his promos <laughs> And again, it's that, to me, it's that same, he's got a very similar delivery to The Rock, you know? And it, to me, shows how how great The Rock was, and I suppose still is, when he's influencing people even now, 21 years later, after this, this particular promo. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, and now we get to our main event, um, Fatal 4-Way Elimination Match for the WWF Championship. It's again, the whole show was billed a McMahon in every corner. So we have the champion Triple H with his wife, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, The Rock with Vince McMahon, Mick Foley, as we mentioned previously, with Linda McMahon, and The Big Show with Shane McMahon. Um, the match goes just over 35 minutes or so. Um, what, what did you think of this then, David? This was what the whole show was building towards. Uh, what were your thoughts? I think this was kind of in the same vein as a lot of the whole show that it was a lot of stuff in a row that, that happened. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure I really picked up a, a particular like thread of a, a, a real like story that tied everything together in it. Um, but it was kind of like, and this is like really common with like these big multi-man matches, right? Especially when you've got a multi-man match going on. That's also trying to tell the actual story of this match with the McMahons around the outside. Um, I was surprised to see the big show go out so early. Mm, Yeah. Um, That was really interesting. Obviously, um, like he gets a low blow, then Foley Foley, um, clots him from the outside in the back with a chair, rock bottom. um, And then he's out and I'm like, Oh, well, that was quick. Like I thought, he has, he um, was like, he has like a, a rant deal. as well, doesn't he? He has a big rant as on his way out, and <laughs> it's almost like they. I think they're trying to protect him a little bit here with how he's eliminated. Yeah, I'm not sure. But you're it right. Quite it's works. very early. Like it still doesn't feel like it's quite enough to be getting rid of him at that point. Like mm. he, he's he's a giant. He's fresh, um, and I get it. It's the rock bottom, right? It should put down anybody, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I bought it. No, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, totally. It, it does. I mean, they all the other the other three competitors turn on him, I suppose, and and, and go at him yeah. together for a very quick period at the beginning. Um, and yeah, he does take the chair shot. He does take the rock bottom. But I agree, it was very very quick. And the fact that afterwards he was up walking around outside, quite angry about his elimination. It, it's kind of it, again, yeah, it just seemed odd. I suppose it was yeah. quick. I'm not quite sure what they were trying to achieve. It was almost like they tried to make it to, to look after him a little bit 
with eliminating him here, but yeah. kind of slightly missed the mark, maybe? Yeah, it it is really weird. And if you think of this in the context of the story they've told over the last three shows, right? Like, they could have easily just forgotten about the fact that Rot's t- feet touched the floor in the Rumble. They didn't show that on the on the, 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 the actual Rumble pay-per-view, right? They they got yeah. a good camera angle where they, they didn't show it, and therefore they didn't need to tell anyone that it happened. But yet mm. they did. Um, so we're going to No Way Out. Um, and they they kind of had the match there, and then he still ends up in this four-way. It's like, I, I'm not sure why he was there, if they're going to get rid of him so quickly. Yeah. It's almost like they, they, I don't know, maybe they felt like they had to explain the Rumble issue when they maybe they didn't need to as you said maybe they felt like they had to and then realized they got themselves to a certain stage and we're like well okay what we're we gonna do now because to me it almost feels like wrestlemania and the big title matches especially around this time you look at say i, I suppose you go back to sean and brett after the title 13 was um sid and the undertaker 14 was austin Shawn Michaels, 15 was Austin Rock. It almost felt like you wanted Austin Triple H here. Yeah, maybe. That's potentially what it felt like it should have been. And the way that you ended up with Austin, sorry, Austin, the way you ended up with Triple H and The Rock for a good 15 or so minutes on their own, telling their own story. Yeah. It, that to me, it almost felt like the match was in two different segments. Yeah, you know, the early parts with Foley, and I, I suppose I suppose you had like a mini segment as well with the early parts with the Big Show. But like like you said, Dave, he wasn't around very long. You had the early parts with Foley, and his involvement, and then his little surprise occasion where he turned around and gave the Rock a bit a bit of offense, and the crowd booed yeah. him and, and and whatnot. And then his farewell in theory when he finally gets eliminated. And then after that, you had almost like another segment, almost like the main event of this main event, I suppose, with. Triple H and The Rock for quite a while before getting to all the McMahon nonsense at the end, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And like coming back to Foley's elimination as well, and we'll probably talk about this again when The Rock like eventually loses the match. Um, they're in this pattern at this stage of like having the babyface lose and then get his comeuppance after as if the loss doesn't mean anything. Um, so Foley gets eliminated, he gets pedigreed, he gets pedigreed on a chair or whatever, um, kind of like rolls himself out of the ring and like immediately starts like pandering to the crowd as if nothing just happened. Um, and then scoots back in the ring and clots Triple H with the um, barbed wire two by four. And then that's like his big moment and he goes off. Um, but that happened at the Rumble as well, right? Yeah. He gets pedigreed and attacks, loses, comes back and gets his like gets his crowd pop or whatever from beating up the, the dastardly villain. Um and I kind of feel like that doesn't do anything really for either of them. It just kind of gives the crowd a reason to go, Yay, woo. Yeah. Lovely. Um but it's all I don't know, it feels kind of cheap. Like if you're making the decision to make like the guy people care about lose you then get the worst of both worlds if he immediately circles back around and gets one over on the guy he just lost to. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because all, all of a sudden the win is not memorable because the whole purpose is they're trying to make you think of what's happened last, I guess. <laughs> the win then isn't as relevant and you're beaten by somebody that you've, you've just kicked the ass of as well. Yeah. It, it, it kind of... It's like one great big circle of contradictions, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and like... 
I don't know, like um, Foley's like retired at this point, and I think thought like I had thought he was re- like completely retired and was just brought back for this, um, and didn't really know if he wanted to do it. And I think in certain places, at least, like you can tell. Right. Like, I think one of those um, moments, like I say, immediately after he loses, like he's not particularly selling. Like he rolls out the ring and he just starts like going, "All right, I'm off now." Thanks, Brown. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Em. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Oh, oh hang on. I'll, I'll pop in and then I'll hit him with the thing. And then, okay, cheers. Okay. We're all right. Yeah. We're all right, everybody. Bye. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That, it's, that, that was like a crystallization of like all of the like Triple H Mick Foley moments that we've, we've seen over the last three months where like Triple H has to get the better of him technically in the record books. But Mick Foley then ha- um, gets like the last laugh or whatever, and I'm not sure really how it makes me feel about what's just happened. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Triple H obviously he's very good at I don't know how to word this, towing the company line or, or speaking in the right turn of phrase, and he always cites that this run with Mick Foley is what made him, and Foley helped you know make him the star he is, and so on. Yeah. But how you explain it there makes perfect sense to me as well. It's almost like they they don't want to take the belt off Triple H. As an example, just using the title with with the matches we saw at No Way Out and so on. Yeah. But at the same time, they don't want Foley to not be cheered, not have that final moment moment. of his arm rate. They don't want to not send people home happy, but they want the dastardly villain to win, and they're trying to have their cake and eat it too in doing that. Hmm. And it it just sort of it lessens the impact. It cheapens both sides of it. And again, the similar sort of thing happens here, doesn't it? With regards to, I mean, we'll skip ahead to the, to the finish now. I guess the Rock yeah, eventually right. wins the match. Sorry, Triple yeah. H eventually wins the match, and the Rock still comes in and, and lays waste to everybody and has his moment standing there, his music yeah. playing. But ultimately, Triple H is left with the title. Yeah, exactly right. So like, the Rock loses to getting hit with a chair um precursor to the the following year as well where they just do it a bit more yes um but then like he's up he's beating up every single mcmahon (laughs) and then he's he's sending everybody home happy but it's like you know does it really work um in terms of like this the story they're trying to tell and and the heat they're probably trying to get at least off of having the villain go over at wrestlemania yeah, and a couple of other things that didn't make sense as well. I mean, the, the finish up ultimately is the Rocks, I don't know, the Rocks McMahon or the Rocks corner person is Vince. He turns on the Rock yeah. to help his son-in-law, who apparently he can't stand and doesn't want in the family and so on, <laughs> to win the title. And then we end up with he and Stephanie, sorry, Vince and Stephanie, um, embracing in the ring and, and they have like I suppose I suppose a mini reunion storyline wise and so on okay well, I can understand where they're going with that because it's a bit of a a bit of a swerve a bit of a oh didn't see that coming potentially and so on I, I understand um, but earlier on in the match Vince is beating up Triple H Vince throws him into the ring post Vince you know yeah, he's not he's not acting in a way that leads you to believe later on that's going to happen and that doesn't make any sense right. at all no, and equally, like uh, at one point, Triple H and Mick Foley start working together, and I'm like, "Hang on, yeah, distracting it now, right? Like, even if, right, even if you can believe they've built up a bit of mutual respect and just want rid of the Rock, 
I'm not sure that the 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 characters that you've got there, like it it really hurts my suspension of disbelief that they would even consider for a moment working together. Yeah, and that is that that is the perfect way of putting that. It it, it kind of takes away the suspension and disbelief that, that I'm all I'm all about sitting there, whether it's watching shows back for the purpose of of this show or my chain wrestling podcast whatever and being engrossed in what i'm seeing and when i have moments take me out of that that's when i kind of i can handle moves not looking as great as potentially they might i can handle to a degree seeing punches that look weak or what however whatever example you want to use but when you've got things that just make no storyline common sense or no logical common sense like those moments that we just discussed that really i think hurts what i'm watching yeah it hurts how i feel about it mm. Definitely. i mean i mean i had to check because i was i was i knew i already knew the answer but i had to check because going back through this show there's so many multi-person matches so many I suppose the main event, especially with, with the McMahons and there's so much going on and, Oh, Oh, is that Pete Rose in, in the bird suit? <laughs> no, it's not swerve. It's Pete Rose yeah. here. And, and then it's always that person siding with that person. Oh no, it's different. I, I thought, man, Vince Russo must be booking this. Sure. Cause, it, cause it's what you, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a dick. I mean, I, I've, yeah. I've had interactions with, with, with Mr. Russo. Uh, I've spoken to him online. We've exchanged a few emails and he's been, nothing but pleasant to me so i don't want to be seen as having a dig at the guy however it is the kind of wrestling show or television he is synonymous with whether rightly or wrongly that is kind of what he is famous for so i'm watching this and i'm thinking this is just russo all over the place but he actually left in october the previous year oh really so i'm watching i'm well then why are we why is this happening because <laughs> it does <laughs> it's this to me this whole show you could almost take a lot of what happens in this show and drop it into WCW in late 2000 and it wouldn't look out of place Hmm. when WCW was notorious for being a mess and everyone was turning on everyone and nothing made sense. It kind of almost feels like a snippet of that time here, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like they saw it and went, I want to do some of that. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, (laughs) ultimately the first the first show we watched i really enjoyed the war rumble the second show we watched again i really enjoyed i knew already and i think i'd mentioned to you when we when we finished recording the last episode when we when we went off air so to speak that 2000 is is known for having quite a few good pay-per-views but the worst of the year is thought to be wrestlemania Mm. um so I was kind of semi-prepared to go into this and, and potentially not enjoy it as much as the other shows we'd already watched. But I was quite surprised with how, not let down, but quite surprised with how I came out of the show maybe feeling, yeah, that wasn't anywhere near as good as the previous shows. I mean, what are your thoughts overall, David? Yeah, I think I'm pretty much on on board with that. Like, I, I come into these things like, pretty positive, like, in yeah. general. Like, always, I always try to find the good and stuff anyway, but like, I... And it's like, I remember saying that, like, at the end of it, like, I really kind of felt that to be a bit of a drag to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't the WrestleMania I was hoping for. It didn't feel like a WrestleMania, um, if you get what I mean. 
Like, yeah, totally. It, it like it didn't have like a big like super exciting singles match um, that like has like a big bill that you can get invested in and, and care about. And I like, obviously like at the time I'm just like picking up these pay-per-views on VHS and just looking at them. But like, like there was no like standout music video package telling the story of what's going on that I can remember while we're talking about it now. Um, like all of those things that you love from that era of, wwf weren't really there and it was just like a lot of matches that were like here's some stuff it happened moving on um so yeah like it, it yeah just didn't feel like a wrestlemania to me no i, I think you're spot on there and, and, and a drag to get through i think it's really accurate as well i felt the same yeah. um it's almost like there's quite a bit of too much going on without actually anything of substance happening if, if yeah. that you know, um, in hindsight, now I think the show's hurt quite a bit by. Uh, I, I think that the, the main event being a four-way didn't help. If I think if you had the single match Rock versus Triple H, yeah. everything under the card being multi-person, you could have kind of excused because you had that one big attraction on top, and it was the two biggest names available to them at that moment. Yeah. Um, saying that the two biggest things available to them at that moment perhaps the show was hurt because of austin and the undertaker not being available if they were there it would have only added to the to the matches that would have only added to the show potentially yeah i'm i'm i think they are they are definitely like looking back on this and obviously i didn't know at the time because these are my first three wrestling shows that i watched right mm, yeah. um but looking back on it now like they are missing austin yeah, like this doesn't feel like Attitude Era WWE really, other than the like all of the extraneous Attitude Era bits, the um, Moolah and May and the the ladies and the wacky gimmicks and all that. Like all that stuff is there, and like The Rock is cool and Triple H is cool and Kurt Angle is amazing and Benoit and Jericho have just turned up and they're great, but they're missing Austin so much. I think at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but, you know, they did the best they could, I suppose, with what they had. Um, ultimately, we we give these shows a grade, an old-fashioned school grade, I suppose, I referred to it as in the past. Um, David, do you want to go first or second, my friend? Yeah, I'll go first. I'll give it a D for drag. I'll tell you what, I've got rate stroke D here <laughs> on my notes as well. So that's quite a drop from the ratings we've given the other two. Yeah. Um, but I think it is accurate a D for this. Um, our next viewing, I suppose, our next pay per view sometime in the next few weeks will be Backlash in 2000. Um, from, I can remember virtually nothing from that show um, apart from the main event. And it, it does, from what I remember, hold up better than this. So we can look look forward to that one, I think, buddy. Yeah, I'm genuinely looking forward to that. So I also don't know for sure what happens in it, but like stuff happens around this time in wrestling, and I remember little bits and pieces. I'm trying not to look look this up as well because I quite enjoy like being surprised by it when I watch it. Um, but like I know stuff starts happening after this bit that's kind of like super cool. Um, and I'm hoping it's coming up soonish. Yeah, I think Backlash is the start of some 
very cool stuff, especially in the main event picture, for example. Yeah. I won't say more than that. Um, for everyone listening, just so they're aware, what me and David have said we're going to try and do is is one of these roughly-ish per month, depending on time allowing and so on. Um, the issue we have with that is that the pay-per-view calendar year of 2000 Whereas I'd like it to tie in, so January, Raw Rumble, February, No Way Out, that worked out lovely. There's a few that sort of jumble it up throughout the year now. For example, I think it's May, where they have two pay-per-views very close together. And then there's a time later on in the year where there's like six weeks without a show. So we're still going to try and stagger them out a little bit. Um, They may not coincide exactly month to month with when the show's happened, but I'm hoping to sort of do roughly one a month-ish, David. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, and then after Backlash, as a little surprise, we've got a show I know for a fact I have never, ever seen. So that's the next two that we've got coming up. So uh, look out for that on the social medias. Follow the show um, and all the other topics we have. David, before I let you go, do you want to let people know where they can find you online, sir? Yeah, sure. You can find me on Facebook. It's David Eaton, just a normal friend ad sort of situation there. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at Heritage City HM. Great stuff. Uh, thank you very, very much for your time again, my friend. Um, thank you. You can find me at SJP Words, and you can find the show at SJP Wrestling Podcast. Check out last week's episode if you want a little sampler of what else we do. There's a a fun um a fun episode with two guys from a different podcast who I know very well from the Badlands show mentioned earlier. We pieced together our ultimate war rumble with regards to 30 competitors and the first couple of entrants, a final four and so on. And I was, just a bit of fun fantasy booking. Have a listen to that. Let me know what you think. And David, I will speak to you next month when we have a look at Backlash, my friend. Awesome. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.